Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. So what you need to know uh, is that I don't pick the videos for that we show on Funny Clips. And uh, I often don't even see them until I'm here and sitting in the chairs like you guys. And so Eric picked this one this week. Uh, because I turned 40 this last week, and uh, then I had the audacity to wear this track jacket uh, as well, which is just bad luck. Uh, not intentional, just uh, a humorous, stupid thing. So there you go. Hey, welcome to Eastlake. We're glad that you're here. Welcome to those of you watching online or on replay. We're glad that you are tuned in as well. We kick off a new series today. If you came last week, you picked a great day to come check, come back and check it out, because um, we're teaching series here. This one's going to go for about five weeks. It's going to be a series on the Bible. And uh, a couple of years ago, every every year uh, since we've been, for like the last five or six years, um, we uh, have been a part of a kind of a collaboration of different pastors. We get together once a year and, and meet up and uh, rent a house together. And just uh, these are pastors who planted a church about the same time as us, going through similar seasons. We're not a part of any denomination. So we have like all that kind of thing uh, kind of going for us. And so um, we talk business and shop with guys who actually get it, which is kind of different from, uh, you know, whatever. But um, and then we usually sit down with a pastor who is from the area that we're visiting and who is older than us, has been around doing it longer, is a pro seasoned vet and ask them questions about, you know, what would you say our advice or pieces of wisdom for, for those of us still in the mix on it? And we were down in California a couple years ago with a guy named Larry uh, Osborne, who pastors a big church called North Coast Church. And he was always uh, always really good at having a great leadership team, he had a great board and, and structure. And so the, a lot of the questions that we asked centered around that. How do you get really good people on the team, on the leadership team, helping make decisions of the church? And so it's not just like one guy's vision, uh, but it's, it, it's a multitude of voices. How do you get those people? Because the problem is that can go sideways too. You can get the wrong voices and that's not great. But, um, and he had a statement for us that I remember sitting there with all of us and, uh, and writing this down. He said, you'll know who the smartest people are in the room by whoever asked the best questions. And then we're all like, oh, that's really good. And we're all like, could you say that again? You know, repeat that and writing this thing down or whatever. Um, and then there's like a long period of silence where he just kind of let that sink in. Like good people when they're smart like that, they say things and then, like long silences. I don't say very smart things. There's not a lot of silences when I talk, but um, long silence where we all soak it in. And then I remember, I remember I was the first one to say something out of that after that. And I said, what do you mean? Right? <laughs> and he's like, well, it's not you. So there's self-elimination. He didn't say that, but I felt that. As soon as I said it, I'm like, that's a dumb question. And uh, then everybody, all my pastor buddies are like, well, good. It's not Brent. So that's, uh, that's great. Um, but I remember walking away from that uh, time together thinking to myself, all right, I want to be somebody who asks better questions. Uh, I want to be somebody who uh, I don't need a, a stage to communicate truths to you know, uh, come across as smart or whatever. But I do want to be a person who, whether it's one-on-one at a coffee shop, whether it's with my wife, 
um, whether it's uh, whether you know when I'm signing on a house or a car uh, or or whatever the case may be, I want to be somebody who asks better questions. That you can tell that you know you've thought through some things in this in this way. And nowhere is this more important than in the area that we're going to be talking about for the next couple of weeks, because um, we're going to be talking about asking better questions of the Bible. Now, there's always always a pressure. Uh, for somebody in a position like mine uh, on what we decide or I decide to talk on after Easter. Easter is one that makes sense. We know what we're gonna talk about, right? It's gonna be an empty tomb every time, right? But then it's like, all right, but come back. All right, here's the, here's the follow-up one. This is, uh, this is and, and what you decide to go with says a lot about, it's gotta be relevant, it's gotta be on brand, it's gotta be whatever, right? You want it to be good. You don't want it to be like, oh man, it's a huge letdown. Um, and so in, in golf terms, if you're a golfer, there are certain spots or distances away from the green or the pin that you like to be. You have what's called a 140 club, right? 140 yards away, I know exactly the club, you know, whatever. Um, and then sometimes you'll get into a spot where you're like, oh, it's 132. I'm like, it's, I'm right in between clubs. This is what like golfers talk about. And I'm always like, I'm, I seem to always be in between clubs. That's how I golf. I'm like, there's never a right club for me. But um, uh, so, but, but supposedly there's, there's zones that are like, I know, I know I can hit it pretty pure and pretty good in that way. And so when it came to kind of thinking through this series, uh, I feel like I got a club for this. This is a good, when we talk about the Bible, here's the thing about the Bible. I love the Bible. I read the Bible almost every single day. I would do it if I, if, even if I wasn't a paid professional Christian uh, as known as a pastor, um, I, I would do it just because I think that there's value in it for me. I read things. I, I don't read it uh, on a daily basis so that I can be like, what should I talk about on Sunday, all right? Um, that's not how I read. I, I read oftentimes uh, in some sort of a, a plan, or right now I've been reading through the Old Testament and doing it through this commentary piece. I do it because there's value for me, spiritual value for me, and, and personal edification, um, and, uh, and I think that that's really important. Um, I think the Bible, if, if you have been around Eastlake for a while, I hope that that comes out as true, because there's a tendency in which I think a lot of churches are, you know, uh, uh, pr- perspective is, um, the, the churches who are really about the Bible are the ones who do 52-week series on the book of Esther, right? And those are the churches that are super into the Bible. And, 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 and we don't teach, we teach what's called exegetical sermons here, which is exactly that. This week's Ruth chapter one, next week is Ruth chapter two, right? And you know exactly what's gonna be talked about. I don't do that um, because I just don't think that that's what our target audience thinks of. I think that other Christians like that. But um, in terms of people who are like, I'm totally not into church, um, they don't think like that. And so we associate our target with that, but that doesn't mean that I'm not into the Bible. I really, I really, really am. And, and I think it's the most interesting uh, book around. It's by far the most popular book in the world, right? I mean, perennial bestseller in terms of a, uh, which book has sold the most. It's, it's the Bible every year for like a thousand years running. Like that's how this thing has worked on. It's the most accessible in terms of world languages. That are, the Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book um, in, in the world in history. Um, it also feels sometimes uh, the most inaccessible because of the different styles and the different focuses and the words and the way that it's used and there's poetry and there's law and there's wisdom books and there's little Easter eggs that if you look hard enough, you can find and, and, and whatever. Uh, in sheer numbers of production, it's unmatched. Um, it's got fingerprints of human history all throughout it. Um, I believe that it is the collective thoughts of the church uh, for, from the inception of the church, when Jesus said to his disciples, go into the entire world, baptizing people, making them uh, followers uh, of Jesus, of, of me and, and, uh, and, and the church. And, and I think that it's, it's, it's uh, a collection of uh, thoughts and wisdom from uh, ancient people who, who their God was the Israel God, Yahweh, um, who, who this is their way, this is the best thing that we know about this and the best way of doing life. And then it was taken up with this. I think it's amazing. I think it interacts. I think the Old Testament interacts with the new. I think it informs the New Testament. I think that we 
live under this new covenant, not the old one, but there's still some, there's still significant value in understanding uh, what that means. Um, I think that there's uh, insurmountable ancient documental uh, evidence of this. I think that it is as close as possible um, to the original thoughts. I don't think it's probably exact. I think that anytime that there's a transmission piece, like if we played a game of telephone, you'd start one end to get to the other, it'd be different. But for the most part, the way that it's made its way through history, I think that it was inspired by God. I, I think that he inspired these people to write it. I think that he orchestrated the entire organization of it, including the churches who in the fourth century would say, all right, this is what we think is most important. I think all of that was facilitated and handled and intentional and got here as a result of it. When it comes to like the idea of inerrancy and infallibility, those are like little sideways that things that we can get into. But man, I have an incredibly high perspective uh, on the Bible. And did you know that you can get the Bible in an audio version read to you by none other than Denzel Washington, you guys. That's amazing. And it's not a bad way to blow 20 bucks, okay? Uh, and don't do it right now, but you should definitely look that up. Um, it, it's, it's amazing. So my goal for this series is to walk away for us asking better questions about the Bible. And perhaps you grew up in a church or a setting, a religious setting that didn't allow you a lot of space to be able to ask questions about the Bible. We don't talk about those questions, you know. Uh, sometimes asking questions when it comes to the Bible can make us anxious. We, we feel like we should probably not have these questions because we should be more familiar with this. There doesn't seem to be other people who have the same questions that I do, but then the internet comes around, Reddit boards and everything else, and you realize there are a lot of questions out there about this that we wanted from the very beginning, Eastlake to be a safe place to have questions about God, about the Bible, and whatever, um, to be able to, to kind of work through and process through these things. And I, I think that um, that's been a part and a key part of uh, the followers of Jesus and the church from its inception is asking questions this way. Asking questions can sometimes make us feel disloyal or like that we didn't hear the first time, like I should probably know this already and nobody else seems to be asking these questions, but um, I, I don't think that that should be true. I think that I wanna free you from that guilt or burden or whatever. Uh, and waiting for answers sometimes can feel like being forgotten. Sometimes when we, when we ask these questions about this and we ask somebody and they give us an answer, but it's not a great answer. We, in, in prayers, we begin to ask God, could show me like the truth about it? What does this mean? And then there's just nothing comes as a result of it. And we just go, I just don't know. Asking questions is so dang difficult in this way. And, and, and we've tried it and the accessibility piece isn't there for us. And we say, you know what, Brent, I like it when you read the Bible to me, right? And so I find a good community or people like me who, who read it and when they read it and talk about it, it seems to make sense for you. And that's fine. That's great. Listen, I get that. I like it when lawyers read contracts about what I'm about to sign too, right? What is it that I'm signing? What does this say to me? What are my responsibilities here with this? Um, it gives me feelings of job security, all that good stuff. But I do think it is critically important for you to have this and begin to integrate this thing into your life to some degree. And for the next five weeks, I'm going to convince you, I'm going to try and convince you uh, that, it's, that, that it should be a value for, for you, especially those of you who call yourself Christian that one of the things that the, that, that the church split in a big way about 500 years ago is when uh, the Catholic church would stand up in front of them and be like, hey, you know what? This is a really, really powerful thing. Let us tell you what this says. We don't want this to be in the hands of the uninitiated and the uneducated. It's, it's kind of a dangerous book. You can kind of take it sideways. And people have and do and continue to do that and continue to take political stances and then look for scriptures that support what they say, regardless of context, regardless of things, right? And 500 years ago, Martin Luther came along, posted this 95 thesis on the wall of a Wittenberg church and said, you know what? I think as dangerous as it is, 
It is more important that people have access and can read this, that a lot of blood and sweat and tears, and again, more blood, more martyrs for the accessibility of scripture than, than almost anything else in, in, in kind of our, our modern era. I mean, it's unbelievable the battles that Christians went through to make sure that you have a Bible that sits on your coffee table that you never read, right? So, I mean, it's, it's and I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm just trying to talk about reality of this, that I think it's so incredibly important and it's interesting too, because the Bible can be one of those things that can draw you know, perspectives from people who are outside of the faith and hear that you're trying to do this like, you know, Christian thing and, and religious thing. And they're like, that's cool. You know, what, tell me about your church and, and whatever. And, and they're like, yeah, but like the Bible, like it's so old and ancient, antiquated and the thoughts and the conceptions and the viewpoints, it's just so, I mean, it's outdated, right? I mean, you don't actually believe in any of that stuff, do you? And like, for some of you, you've been able to kind of set that aside and be like, listen, I like the church. I, I like community. I like being a part of something that people are trying to better themselves and, and be a, a positive influence on the world. I like that my kids are taken care of. And, you know, I want to, I want to raise my kids in a religious sort of environment because I was kind of, and I feel like that was a value for me. And my kids are little turd buckets anyway, so they need to hear about Jesus. And uh, I'm not, I'm not saying your kids, I don't know. I'm just reading from connect cards. That's all I'm doing here, guys. Sorry. Um, and so it's in, in, in whatever, and, and the, the value is there. You like the community component. You defer sometimes judgment of the Bible is inerrancy and fallibility. You're just like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but man, it's, it's an incredibly important deal. And my, my goal would be that we are a, a church and a community that A, talks about it each week, but also that we are people of, uh, on an individual basis who are making this a part of our uh, routines that, that to, in some way, shape, or form, and you may not be a reader, and listen, there are a lot of different pathways towards this, but somehow associating ourselves with the wisdom, ancient wisdom of people who have wrestled with God for long, a long time, people smarter than us, uh, from a different perspective than us, telling us about what they knew and thought about God. I think that that's a value, a significant thing for us. In fact, the name Israel, I mean, Israel is the nation. We know Israel is a country now, and, and the entire Old Testament is about this nation of Israel. The, the word Israel comes initially from a guy named Jacob, who was one of the you know, early um, uh, uh, Israelite fathers or in the part of the patriarchy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, um, who in a, in, in a one night wrestled with what he thought was an angel and refused to let him go. And God says, Jacob, I'm changing your name. Anytime a name change comes, he's kind of trying, trying to speak truth in this person. Your, your name was like a little bit of about you and what you could become. And your name is now gonna be Israel, one who wrestles with God, one who argues and wrestles with God, but refuses to let go. And that became a beautiful picture uh, from not just an individual standpoint, but from the, a national standpoint of Israel was a people of God who clung to the idea that God rescued us from Egyptian slavery, brought us into a promised land. And we, uh, we wrestle with what it means to be a part of who he is, and we refuse to let this thing go. Even though we get exiled to Babylon, we make our way back, and then we're always in trouble with other people, other people who want our land. We find ourselves geographically in the middle of Egypt in Assyria in the north and Babylon in the east, and we're just like stomping grounds for all kinds of people. But we are a people who refuse to let go, who wrestle with God. In the same way, when we approach scripture and when we are a part of a community that is interpreting scripture for our modern context, we are continuing that conversation. We are Israel. 
we are struggling with the idea of a God who exists, but how do I define him, her, whatever? How do I define it? How do I, who, who, what is he like? What does he want? What does he expect from me? Does, is all of this created? Is it intentional? Is it, is it all over? The, what, what, what is this? We struggle with this spiritual dimension, and yet the best of, uh, at, at the best of our times, we, we, we say we just refuse to let go. And maybe that's been you, like you've struggled with the church and perspective and all this kind of stuff. You're like, ah, but I just can't get over the feeling that there is something there. I, I struggle every day with the idea of God, but I just refuse to let go. Man, if that's you, this is a handbook of people who have lived in that, exactly that for centuries and centuries. It's an important piece. Now, again, it is hard to read. Um, it's it's um, uh, thousands of years old. It comes from a different perspective. I, I read uh, recently, or, or a common phrase that has come up about this is that, that the past is like a foreign country. They do things a lot differently there. So when you read it, it reads differently. There's a guy named uh, Gary Burge who wrote uh, in, in a couple commentaries on it in his introduction to the Gospel of John wrote this about us being literary tours. We've forgotten that we read the Bible as foreigners. We cannot read this the same way that we read a John Grisham novel or Jeanette Oak or whoever it is. As visitors who have traveled not only to a new geography, in other words, this happened not in America, not under a constitutional you know, setting that we have or with the freedom and the rights that we have, but to a new century, whole new mindset in that way. We are literary tourists who are deeply in need of a guide. You would never assume to go to Italy and walk through the seats of Rome and fully understand what it is exactly that you're seeing, what all took place and where we're at. In the same way that you go there and you're like, I need something. I need at least Google. I need somebody to follow me along. I, I get that. When we approach this and when we read this, there's a little bit about that uh, with us as well. And I'm not saying that there's no value in reading individually that you gotta come to me and I'll tell you what it says. Don't worry about it. That's not what I'm saying. But man, the idea that reminding ourselves that we do not approach this independently, that we do not approach this without bias, without preconceptions, is a critically important thing. You should have questions about the Bible. You should have really good questions about the Bible. I wanna help you have better questions about the Bible. Now, I mean, really quickly, do a plug for something that I, I'm, it's not a it's commercial. We're not, you know, we don't get a cut of anything in that way, but there's a podcast. I know you're like, I don't need another podcast, bro. I know, I know, I know. But if this is interesting to you and this series is interesting to you and you wish it was 25 weeks instead of five weeks, there's a pro, uh, podcast called the Bama Podcast that inspired this. John Inman introduced this to me a few years ago. Uh, it's got by, with a guy named Marty Solomon. He's got another guy um, that is co-host with him. And it's been a brilliant sort of talking to it. It's a much more in depth than what I'm able to go uh, in our short time together on Sunday mornings. But if you're looking for something, there you go. I will email that out in the weekly this week so you can kind of tag things along um, uh, with that. But all right, let's dive into specifically today, how do we start off uh, this conversation about a deeper, more thorough approach to uh, reading <clears throat> the Bible and having and asking better questions about it? If you've ever come to our house uh, and walked through the front doors, and, and some of you will in a couple of weeks for a 101, or maybe you have before because of a 101 thing, uh, you'll notice a couple of things when you walk in. One, a really barking, annoying dog, because you know what? She just hates strangers. That's all it is. Two, uh, is uh, we have a piano uh, that is on loan from my mom who just doesn't want to store it anymore. So they give it to us because we have small kids. And she's like, and she raised me and my sisters uh, on piano with piano lessons. And so it was kind of a, here, take this and, you know, obligatorily uh, raise, you know, give my grandkids piano lessons too. So we have, we've done that. Um, and if you come over, the odds are that when you walked in, 
our daughter Jovi was playing the piano and not because she plays it all day, but because when she sees a car pulling in the driveway and knows people are coming over, she wants to go and perform for you, right? And, uh, and it's the cutest thing because she's so shy in other ways and she is not a performer. She doesn't do sports, but for whatever reason, piano, and she just like beats on it like this. And she like, it's, my wife and I always joke because she'll, she'll play and then she'll be like looking over her shoulder, make sure you're watching and hearing. And we're like, Jovi, it's not a big house. Like everybody can hear you. If you could tone it down, actually, that would be great. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and it's the cutest, darnest thing. Um, and you also know this, if you have kids who were raised with like musical talents or instruments or whatever, that there is a sharp learning curve to musical instruments. And you need to be really, really strategic as parents on which instrument you introduce your kids to first. And so our first child, our oldest, uh, learned to play the cello, which, uh, you know, if you're learning to play the cello, like the viol, I love her, she's so good now, but... Uh, like we would have just random cats just like peeking through the windows being like, what's going on in there? You know what I mean? Like it was, it was bad. And the piano is so much better, guys. Like so much better. The ease of which she was able to play and learn Jovi um, was great. And a lot of times the thing about piano is that you, um, you can learn, oftentimes if you're left-handed, right-handed, you learn to play right-handed uh, first um, because that's the melody line, right? You can kind of pick out a song very easily and poke through Mary Had a Little Lamb with one hand on uh, on an easy basis. The left hand is mostly played for, um, and I'm not trying to get like super musical on you, but uh, like bass notes or bass chords or providing something. If you play just the left hand of a song, there's a good chance, even if they're a super talented piano player, you would not be able to pick out the song of what they're playing because they're just kind of filling this in. They would do, you could pick it out if with the right hand, but not the left. But when you play just the right hand alone, there's a lack of fullness and depth to it that really doesn't come until you add that in. Um, a, a few years ago, um, we were in here and uh, Andrew, was our, our, a guy who was working for us at the time, around the theater, showed us what playing only the high end of music sounds like. And it sounds tinny and it sounds like it's, it's playing from like this old uh, record tape thing or whatever. And then he's like, then when you bring in the bass, you begin to feel. And then when he brings that in, when you begin to play with both hands, you realize that's when the song actually comes alive, that there's a depth to it at this point, that it's not, it's fine. The song is correct in one hand or the other, but a full experience of it uh, requires both hands to be played at the same time. Using that as a metaphor for us, I would like to say or pro approach this insane. Um, that there is an Eastern and a Western mindset when it comes to interpreting, reading, and, and following through on scripture. And that you can approach it by yourself. And again, we come from a Western mindset. So what's gonna happen is when we approach it and read it the first time, it's fine. We can pick out the melodies, we can do this, but there's a fullness that comes when we understand perhaps what, what they were saying as well. And one's not better than the other. In fact, you know, you, one could argue, well, theirs was written first. Uh, theirs is the real, original. Theirs is the, like the more proper perspective. I, I understand that. And I uh, can lean in that direction too. Um, but I, I think what would be important, what would be a key component for asking better questions is to learn to read the Bible with playing both hands. And so let me give you a few examples of what I mean by when we do it, um, we immediately default to certain perspectives when it comes to these different areas. Number one uh, is the idea of words. Words from a Western mindset 
are uh, depositories of data that transmit information from the one who's communicating to the one who's receiving. Uh, we use words to define things. We use words to bring abstract things into concrete terms. We use words to describe things that then are defined by other words. Like you use a dictionary, you look up a word, and then there's a list of other words to be like, well, I'm refining this. I'm trying to draw. And the more words that we have, the more we're able to kind of piece this, and then we can kind of go down this thing. We, when you read a book... Um, you'll read things um, in, in like words are, are very ordered. There's an orderly way in which they appear. Uh, you read a chapter and a chapter has like a heading on it and you're like, this is what you're about to learn, right? You're, just about, you're about to read. And then you read a couple paragraphs and these sometimes are in bullet points or, or little targeted areas or bolded things that would be like, this is the summary statement for this. And at the very end, there's like a little a summary thing. You're like, this is what you just read. So this is what you're going to read. Then you read it. And then here at the end is here's what you just read. And for that, we go, Oh, that feels good. You know what I mean? Like it's very, it's very programmatic. And then when what happens, and a lot of texts are like that, and that's good, and it's a, a way to learn. But then we approach scripture, and scripture is almost nothing like that. It almost operates more of poetry and, and word symbols. Words for them are pictures. Words are thrown around. They throw a bunch of words up on a wall, uh, and it's kind of like this word salad. And then, uh, and 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 for them, it paints that picture. For them, that's what brings fulfillment. For example, I'm going to read to you Psalm chapter one. This is the first psalm in the collection of the different what they would call songs of Israel. You sang one of them in the second uh, song, uh, the song of ascent. Uh, the, 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 it's a, it comes from the, the the text I was listening to this week because uh, Aubrey introduced it last week at Easter, and it's been on my repeat playlist all week long. Um, and, and in this psalm, the one that, in Psalm chapter one, it sets the tone for all of the rest of them. And in it, it has this word picture immediately. Here's what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or, or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is on the law of the Lord. Blessed or lucky is shed look at this person. They are like not somebody who walks or sits or runs or whatever. There's these imagery, this pictures immediately for them who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. It's like somebody who doesn't do these things, but instead takes a different position, who delights on the law of the Lord, who focuses on this, who, 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 who uh, uh, marinates in sort of the law of the Lord, which for them would have been the Torah, the books of the Torah, right? Uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all these teachings about who we are and where we came from or whatever, uh, and who God is <clears throat> and what he expects from us, who lives on that, who allows that to kind of speak into their life. They're like a tree, planted by the, the streams of water. If you've ever walked down to the, like along the, the bike path along the Columbia River, you'll notice that there are big trees along. If you've ever like, gotten a plane and seen the perspective, the greenery that is around the river is a lot different than what you see out in North Pasco, right? We all know that. We know that how easy this is, how, how, much, uh, how that tree doesn't have to work nearly as hard. This is what this author is trying to say, listen, Somebody who meditates on God's word and on God's wisdom, their life is not difficult. Access to resources is simple. It's the way that life was designed to be, that they don't have to stress about living. They just do it. Not so the wicked, it goes on. They're like wind, that the, ch uh, the, the chaff that the wind blows away. It begins as these word pictures immediately. So, so words are different. The way that it reads, it's gonna be, 
Not, you're going you're gonna to say, I wish it was more organized. Somebody take this and organize it. That's not how it works. It's not how they're seeing. Words mean things, different things to them. Numbers. Numbers are different. The way that we read about numbers being used in scripture speaks to a qualitative nature about life that we do not understand because numbers for us are always quantitative. How many are you buying? How many minutes did you use on your phone this week, right? That's, that's mine. London, do you know how many minutes you used on your phone or whatever, or how much data or whatever is in, involved in this? Numbers for them were always qualitative. They're not trying to define uh, uh, factual things as much as they are speaking to something. So for them, the number seven rent represented, a, it was called considered to be God's number. It was considered to be a sign of completeness. When something was seven, it was good. That's why creation is done in seven days. On the seventh day of creation, God rested, right? This is the issue with, well, is creationism a, a seven-day process? Or is it more than that? The, for them, seven just meant it's done. It was fulfilled. Everything that was meant to be done was done. That was it. Six was a sign of incompleteness. When something is six, it means it's not quite there. It's not quite seven. It's not evil. It's just not complete, which is interesting because, you know, you didn't have to grow up in church to hear the number 666. You had that printed on your skateboard as a kid. You did. You know that, right? That um, <clears throat> was just their way of saying something that is incomplete three times in a row. And anytime something's repeated, especially numbers, it's like qualitative things. It's really, really, really incomplete. So when... when um, when, when Peter shows up to Jesus one day and says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my friend who sinned against me? Should I do it like seven times? Should I do it un, up into the point of completion? And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? This is a, quali- this is a qualitative, not quantitative thing. Peter, he said, G- he, Peter's not asking, should I go to him like on the sixth time and be like, dude, you got one more chance. He's like, no, 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 you do it under completion, but just know, so you know, when he says 70 times seven, he's basically saying it'll never actually be complete. You need to be a person who is just constantly defaulting towards forgiveness. That doesn't mean being a take it advantage of and there are boundaries in place. And we can get, that's a whole nother series on its own. But the qualitative nature of how they use numbers is critically important. Reading it would be, when Jesus feeds 5,000 versus when he feeds, feeds 4,000, there's, there's things that they're saying about what's left over in terms of there's seven baskets left over or there's five, fish and, or five loaves and two fish. Those are all, <clears throat> the point of what they were trying to say is qualitative. There is a message being sent there that if you ask better questions and dig a little bit, you'll see what they're trying to say. That's so critically important. <clears throat> eternal life, this idea of eternal life. You probably uh, grew up in a church uh, like I did. Uh, eternal life, the, like, the focus on the afterlife was a, bit, was a big deal. Like where are you gonna go when you die and there's gonna be some music and we're gonna talk about this and you don't have to go there, we can talk about this, whatever. Uh, but the focus has always been what happens to me after I die? And no doubt that that was part of uh, what we see in some of the, the New Testament things. Um, uh, in in uh, Specifically, last week we talked about in Easter Sunday, um, Peter and John being arrested in the temple courts, people mad at them, frustrated at them. And it said, one of the verses that we looked at uh, was them uh, going around and saying uh, to them, <clears throat> they were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They began to talk about, at some point, life beyond this life. But common Jewish perspective was not the idea of an afterlife. They believed that when you died, it was Sheol, it was nothing, it was just a big nothingness. Who can praise God when they're dead? We praise him now in the body. That's how we see a ton of the Psalms talk about. 
the teaching of a resurrection of it or eternal life or um, yeah, life beyond this life would show up a little bit in the book of Acts as they begin to explore Jesus rose from the dead. I wonder if that has any effect on us. And Paul would definitely write about it. But when the rich young ruler approaches Jesus in Matthew and Mark and Luke and says, hey, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He almost assuredly is not asking, what do I gotta do to make sure I go to heaven when I die? Eternal life for them was a qualitative sort of perspective. In other words, he's asking Jesus, what must I do to really fully experience life in the way that it was meant to? What is you, as, as a teaching rabbi, what is your definition of the good life? And then look at Jesus' response to that. Take everything you have and sell it and give it to the poor, right? He's saying, what he's saying, and what does it take to, be, uh, to live a really good life? Don't be so attached to your things. Things are not worth your life being attached to, to which the rich young ruler then says, well, that sucks, I got a lot of things. And Jesus says, I know. That's why it's gonna be really, really hard for you. Kind of like a camel going through the eye of a needle. That's when you ask better questions about it, that changes the whole thing. Because we can read it and read it, we read it from our lens of eternal life and oh God, I definitely wanna go to heaven when I die. What do I gotta do to make sure that happens? And Jesus says, sell everything you own. You're like, well, I live in poverty? Like what, what is, and that's not what's being asked of, of that. At least that's my perspective on it, right? And to read that with different eyes, to read that through the eyes of asking better questions is a big, big deal. Um, a fourth thing, so we've got words mean different things. Numbers, we read through those differently. When we're playing with both hands, there's a Western way to read about numbers and an Eastern way to read about numbers. When it comes to eternal salvation or whatever, there's a different way of, of, of reading it from a Western perspective than an Eastern. And when it comes to this idea of communal identity, that we are, uh, in a, from a Western sort of mindset, focused on individualism, especially in America, we have rights given to individual rights given to us by our, our constitution. We, we, you know, we, we, uh, we don't like people telling us what to do, especially we live in the Pacific Northwest. We're rugged individuals, right? We, we, we are up in the corner and we, we, uh, we do things our own way. We live off the grid. We do, I don't know, whatever it is we do. We're, we're, we're passionate about this. Everything about uh, this has been about us as an individual. Our pronouns are me, my, whatever. We, we, we go, um, you attend a church where somebody like me said, you need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And then the, even in the worship songs, uh, a lot of times growing up in church, it was about open the eyes of my heart, do things for me, or I come to you, look at what I've done. For, for them, for these people, almost no weight was given to an individual's response to what was done. It was almost all a communal response. It was, we are a part of Israel. We are the church. We were the ones who were up on Mount Sinai when God gave us the word or the law to live by. We were the ones who were taken, even when Deuteronomy is read um, and, and to, the, to the people group as a reminder of kind of where we come from and reminding ourselves of, of our heritage, they begin to use words of God rescued us from Egypt and led us through the promised land. And what we know from a timeline of history is almost assuredly that generation had died off. They, these were the kids or grandkids of the people who had been a part of that. But that's not how they saw it. We are the ones. Then we find ourselves on the shore of Babylon, 
dreaming about one day getting back to Israel, wondering what happened to the God who rescued us and now refuses to do so. We, we, we. So much of this is about we. Even in the New Testament, the church, we, the church, this community, there was an invitation into the community who saw themselves as a remnant separate from everything else. I mean, listen, I get it. I'm all for personal responsibility when it comes to, I think, you know, you have your own decisions and I don't want to tell you how to live. But I do think that there is a, a communal piece of being a part of the church that focuses, refocuses back on the we as opposed to this is a completely individual effort. So, and, and I think that that's very, very true. That's playing with both hands with, with seeing them in that way. <clears throat> and finally, the last one I'll close on this is a dynamic reading of scripture that oftentimes we read the Bible statically. And stat, the difference between something that's static and something that's dynamic is you always know what you get with static. You, you, dynamic is, it means it changes and then, then there's whatever. We think that when we approach something, we read this, um, we come back to it. This is gonna be timeless truth that we can always come back to and it's always gonna say the same thing to us. And uh, at least for them, they did not read their holy scriptures as such. Um, They definitely recognize that every time I come back and reread something, I am a little different. Uh, I'm different, it reads differently than, than what, and this is, you know this, I mean, come on. You, you read through some stories or read through some scriptures that uh, five years later, you, you read them differently now that you're married. Now that you've got kids, now that you're divorced, like you're, it's, a new, it's a new you, like something stands out differently. You've read this verse a hundred times and yet this time it just hits differently. That's absolutely true. That was absolutely true for them. Our tendency, our natural tendency for us is to read it as, I need a Bible reading plan that is gonna have 14 verses on grief. And so give me that list of things that I can go read it and I'll know that those seem to be the defining resources for getting through grief or loss or pain or betrayal or whatever. And I think that that can be true and I think that there are definitely verses and passages and things that are, that, that are, better mind than other, other ways to go. Like spend your time mining in places that have, you know, the fruit and it'd be just wisdom to go look in there. But I also think that there's a dynamism that we sometimes miss in coming back to this. Somebody wrote a, a book called If, the Seas Were, if All the Seas Were Ink. It's a Jewish, perspective, Jewish author on talking about a Jewish perspective of reading. <clears throat> and here's what she had to say about this idea. When completing a tractate of, of Talmud, which, okay, it's an academic book, so tractate, little, like a tract, like a smaller reading of it, and Talmud would be um, their commentary on the law. So rabbinic kind of sort of tradition about here's what we think we're supposed to do with all of this, all right? So still religious, not necessarily the Bible, but still religious. It is customary to recite a prayer known as the Hadran. Hadran alak via hadrak alan, right? You can tell like the repetitive nature uh, uh, beside that. And if I got it wrong, you, come on, you don't know it either. So it's fine, I'm, I'm close. Uh, hadran comes from the, world, uh, the word for return, though in modern Hebrew, it's used to refer to an encore an encore presentation of something. This is one way the rabbis use the term suggesting that the text continues to go on even after we finished it since there's always more to learn. According to this understanding, the prayer means, may we return to you and may you return to us. 
So what they do is they say, we, we read a text, we read a verse of Holy Scripture, and the very end, the capstone is not amen, which means so be it, but for them, may we return to you and may you return to us. May eventually we live our lives always going back to a resource, using this as a resource to fuel our, our desires, our ability to kind of find ourselves and to know ourselves. May this speak truth to us in this way. And may you return to us. May as we go out into the world, some of this come back into us and be like, oh yeah, that's right. May we return to you and you return to us. It's a beautiful sort of closing thing and not a bad way to kind of close out reading scripture. We're invited to quit looking at the ancient text from the cold distance of history. And instead, by playing with both hands, leaning with a sense of wonder and curiosity, not just the melody, but also what are the other things that go along with that, that provide us with the fullness of sound. We begin to believe that God's inspired words have the power to speak messages to us every day, even this one. And that is, not, that is when we read not only the Bible, but we allow the Bible to begin to read us as well. That is the beautiful part about this. So your challenge, should you choose to accept it over the next couple of weeks, I would love for all of you and, and myself included to read the Bible every day for the rest of this series. It's gonna go either four weeks or five weeks. I'm still working on that. But for the sake of right now, we're gonna say five, just so you don't hold it against me and be like, dude, <clears throat> you got me out of that. So um, anyways, I would love for you to do this. And I, there's all kinds of, I'm not a reader. Okay, that's, I get it. There's other ways to, you can, Find different ways, and I'm not saying how much, I don't care, there's not a plan that we're all gonna do together. You get to do that on your own. And better yet, a better way of saying this perhaps is, I want you to be read by the Bible every day for the rest of the series. Because not only do we read the Bible, but it reads us. As we read it, it tells us about things about us that we sometimes forget, don't realize, have forgotten. We, um, we, we, we go, I, I, I just, I, I need a little bit of truth, I need to know that this is the wisdom of people who have wrestled with God, who have refused to let go. And in a sense, that can be me too. So I read the Bible every day and I, I'm also, I wanna be read by the Bible every single day as well. And I know there's all kinds of excuses. Again, I don't like to read. I got no time. I got none of this. I, I, I fall asleep when I read the Bible. I, 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 it's the same excuses I give when my wife's like, do you wanna go on a walk with me? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, that sounds great, I'm tired, I don't wanna do, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And I know, listen to also, I'm gonna do this with you every day. And, and listen, I, I mentioned at the very beginning, I do this anyways, so it's, that's kind of like my wife saying, you wanna eat healthy with me? I'm like, you already eat healthy, that's not a challenge for you. But let's do it. Find a way, figure out a spot. Be read by the Bible every day for the next couple of weeks. See what it's like. Open invitation, right? or five days a week if you have to. I mean, figure something out, but do it. If you don't have a Bible, I promise I'll give you one. But here's what I do, here's my process for it. When people come up, I don't have a Bible. We have <clears throat> the message of John, it's a little one book, it's just one of the gospels, and it's a translation that's super readable by Eugene Peterson called The Message. It's out on our free book table. It says free book, you'll see it. Um, <clears throat> and if you haven't taken one already, take one of those. You read through all that, you come back, be like, Brent, I read it. Give it back to me, I'll trade you for a full Bible, right? Not that I'm trying to keep you from the whole thing, but let's start with that. This can be a little intimidating sometimes, right? Or Bible.com, there's a Bible app that Bible.com does. It's, a, it's called Version. it's fantastic. It's been around for years. It's one of the most easily readable. You can switch between translations if you don't like the, the, the way that one reads or whatever, that's fine. Like, it, just figure it out. I'm not pro or con to avoid this translation, do this. I don't care, it doesn't matter. But 
Get it in you. And if you need a Bible reading plan, there's tons of plans on that Bible.com thing. You can type in what season of life you're in and be like, listen, uh, when, I've, when you've lost somebody, there's a Bible reading plan on grief. When you've found somebody, there's a Bible reading plan on dating. When you'd rather forget somebody happened or whatever, there's a, a reading plan on forgiveness. There's all kinds of different options for you to be able to navigate this. But we are gonna learn, or I want to invite you. I'm not gonna be demanding, but please. Um, we're going to learn to ask better questions of the Bible, and it's going to start somewhere. It's going to start with us. Having uh, our, our lives um, be read to us from what we experience and by reading ourselves and attempting to do so by playing with both hands, by saying, okay, this might mean something different for me. What, what do I need to know? I'm a literary tourist in this. Help guide me. Guys, there's so many resources out there. I want Eastlake to be a resource for you, not the only one, <clears throat> but I, I promise, I want to commit to you to being that resource, not just for the series, but onboarding. So five weeks, give it a shot, would you? Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with Eastlakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching Eastlake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.